Uh, today we are talking about being a church for our city, and I believe the number one way that we can do that is being a people that prays for our city. But I want to, as we did last week, set us up with what is the biblical theology of being a people that are for our cities, being a people that are present in our cities, caring for its good and for its benefit. So uh, Genesis 1, we're going to be looking at Genesis 1 and 2. Um, and I'm going to read this for us and then pull out and show you what God's design was for us. Then what that happened in light of that because of the fall, but then still our jobs here on this earth is being a church for the city. So Genesis 1 verse 26 says this. We read it last week, but I'm going to read a little bit further. Then God said, let us, plurality, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, as we talked about last week, have sex with your spouse, and multiply have babies and fill the earth, spread out, scatter, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with the seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given Every green plant for food, and it was so. This is God's gifts to us, his people. Yeah, that's, we, we have our vegans. Actually, there are people that argue for that, but then typically there are also people that are at nudist resorts always naked. Um, so have fun with that. And they were naked and felt no shame. Why not? Uh, chapter 2, verses not 7 and 9. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the garden the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skip down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, as we talked about last week, uh, we have the words in the first passage that I read. We have the word dominion. This is another word for rule, which the Hebrew word is actually referring to partnering with God and taking the world forward. A part of our responsibility as created beings of God is to partner with God and taking the world forward. Second uh, word that pops up there uh, in, my, in another, some of your versions is subdue. Um, in other versions, it's going to be something different. But this is what subdue in the original Hebrew meant. To harness the raw materials that make up the planet and make something beautiful. In other words, we are made to work for human flourishing. So therefore, we were actually made to work and care for the well-being of the planet in which we are placed, of the earth. Now, some people have abused this text and said, we are like this hierarchical structure, that we are better than everything, we're going to kill whatever we want, and exploit what we see. When in actuality, God's design was for us to partner with him to take the raw materials and harness it 
for human flourishing. Some of us have heard the terminology of I live, I have to work so I can live. No, actually God created us to work. Uh, when in, in my teaching, when we talked about marriage before, I often talk about how married couples should have a gardening project together in which there is some sort of grander pursuit other than just solely their relationship. If your relationship exists solely in and of your relationship, you can only stare at each other's eyes at Starbucks for so long before getting bored. So there is something grander that we're called into. So human beings were made to work, to work the ground, to care for the earth, to care for the things that are around us, and to do it partnering with God. Now, as we understand, Genesis 3, boom, everything changes. And you and I are now living in light of Genesis 3, the fall, where sin enters and corrupts every single thing. Every single thing on this planet, in some ways, has been corrupted. Sickness, disease, all of these different things. Let's look at Genesis 3, verses 17 to 19, the result of what happens. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. This is God to Adam, now the result of their sin. Uh, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is very true. When we die, we go into the grounds. And as we see here, cursed is the ground. So therefore, the, res the thing we were made to do, which is work, will now, in essence, be difficult. It will be hard, tiring, difficult, and at times unfulfilling, all the results of the fall. There will be injustice, corruption, and pain associated with our work. Now, some of us, um, I know, have struggled with this in the area of work and not feeling fulfilled by the things that we do or the jobs in which we are put. Right? Some of us struggle for what am I even supposed to do in all of this? Like, where am I to work? Let's be reminded that these things are the result of the fall. That prior to that, we were one with God. Now, here's the question. Because things have changed, does this mean we can stand back and watch the world burn because it's all corrupted? Right? Can we abandon the commission which, which we were first given, which we were created? Well, it's all corrupt anyway, so I, I don't need to really partner in helping it out. Or are we still called back to be restorers of what we saw in the very beginning, to partner with God in taking the world forward and harnessing the raw materials of this planet to help for human flourishing? I believe we are. Now, a helpful passage for this, and this is going to transition us a bit into um, what our role is as the church, is Jeremiah 29, verses 1 to 7. God uses the prophet Jeremiah to speak to the children of Israel. Jeremiah is hated, uh, he's beaten, he's persecuted, he's thrown in jail because of his words that God tells him to, to share. When you read Jeremiah, you can read passages in which he's like, God, did you really call me to this? Because this is an awful calling. I do not like this one, God. And God's like, yep, I called you to do it. And we truly see humanity at the point of like depression. right? So if you've ever started with depression, read Jeremiah, you'll relate because he's like, no, God, I don't want to do this. And so Jeremiah is called by God to speak to the children of Israel, his desires for them, because they are going into exile, meaning they're under another foreign rule. It'd be like another nation coming in, invading, taking us over, and making us live by all their rules. Now, this is what God tells Jeremiah to speak. 
So these are the words, this is Jeremiah 29, 1-7. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, when Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I am just so thankful we have simplified our names and our culture. It said, this is the letter, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. And this is the continuation. Multiply. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. This is key, verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. So therefore, even though the people were in a foreign land as resident aliens, they were commanded to carry on with life and to seek the good of the city and pray for it. Now whether we recognize it or not, you and I are two exiles in a foreign land. The final place for us is going to be the kingdom when Christ returns and this becomes his divine city that we read about in Revelation 21 and 22. So in the same way, we are living in a land following rules and expected to follow rules of a nation that is not our final nation. This means that everything that our government uh, has in its law books that we follow is not necessarily the things that God commands us to follow as his children. And what we've mentioned before is that we are commanded in the scriptures to submit and obey our leaders, that they're instituted by the Lord. And until it infringes upon our rights as Christians in obeying God, we do what our government issues and asks of us to do. Now, that's important. Now, in case you don't agree with Jeremiah, let's go to Jesus, okay? Matthew 6, verse 10. This is what Jesus says. He's teaching his disciples how to pray. All right? it's, it's quite amazing, actually, that the disciples, um, they're given an opportunity to question Jesus, and they say, Jesus, how should we pray? And this is how he instructs them to pray. And all of us know this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then he says these words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So just because Jesus came does not mean we can put our hope in him and remain hands off. To pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven means to live out the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. This means we are people of the kingdom of God, and if we're to pray your kingdom come here, we've got to be living here as if it we are in our final destination in God's kingdom. And then in that, as we live that way, we're showing to the people around us, this is the kingdom of God. You don't want to miss out on it. Right? In the sense that we're living so questionable, our lives are so questionable to the world around us that they go, you live differently, and that looks good. Right? Like, we should be good news people. Right? As we talked about, the gospel is the euangelion, the good news that we are living. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our desire is to seek the good of the kingdom of God. Now, 
If you go throughout the rest of the New Testament, if you don't agree with Jeremiah nor Jesus about seeking the good of our city or seeking God's kingdom here, what's very interesting is that when Paul addresses the churches that he's writing to, he always addresses them as churches of certain cities. So in Romans, he says this at the very beginning of Romans. He says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. He calls out the place in which they live, the cities in which they're placed. 1 Corinthians says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. Or in 2 Corinthians, it says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. He says it again. Galatians, to the churches of Galatia. Ephesians, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Philippians, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So therefore, the churches are identified by the city that they are a part of. The cities they are living out the kingdom in. They are therefore to be churches for the city. If Paul was writing to us, He'd say to the church of God that is in Guelph. Isn't that kind of cool? That's, that's his desire. Now, at the end of it all, as I already alluded to, uh, we're not going to be in gardens. We're going to be in a city. The final destination uh, of Christ with his, his heaven coming to earth is a city. This is what it says in Revelation 21, uh, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven. This is John's vision of the end. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning. This is the beauty of the kingdom. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the springs of the water of life without payment. Guys, this is good news. The one who conquers will have his heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And then Revelation 22, 1-5, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on the earth, either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree uh, were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp nor sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. This is the kingdom. This is the city. It's our final destination. Now in the past, some people have taken the perspective of, well, uh, we're just going to huddle in our circles as Christians, kind of look forward to the restoration or the redemption of our cities, and we're not going to actually get involved with what's going on here to harness the raw materials. And I believe that we are to be a church of our city. Now, what does this mean? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I've skipped like tons of slides here. Um, I actually read the verses, but sometimes I forget out of slides. Now, what does this mean for you and me? All right, we're going to start with that. I believe this. Historically, uh, for about a thousand years, prior to 250 years ago, there was more of a parish system with the church. 
So in a community of people, the church was, in essence, the center of that culture. All of the community events took place at the church. Um, anytime the community was doing anything, it would be through the ministry of the church. And there was one church for these group of people in a certain city. I was watching The Patriot recently with Derek Hamstra, and there's a city in there that the church is really the center of the city, and everything is formulated around the church. This is the way that it was for about a 1,000 years. The church was, in essence, the center of a particular city. Now, about 200 years ago was the growth of America, and part of that was uh, the freedom of individuality, which was seen as the greatest good. So independence was taken over, so people started reading the scriptures, and they started saying, oh, I disagree with that way of life, I disagree with that way of life, so we're going to form our own denominations. So with the growth, growth of the desire for independence, people started forming their own denominations because they wanted their own particular things. Um, which then, the growth of America, which eventually led to the creation of the automobile, uh, and then mobility, finally, uh, people started going to where they needed to go. They were given choice. So suddenly we have multiple denominations that people can choose from, and suddenly we have mobility, so now we can start driving miles and miles and miles to churches because we like them over the ones that are were locally around us. So a lot of us see this today. There's even, like, I have friends who have churches in Toronto, and they call them uh, commuter churches because nobody from actually directly around the, the church comes. It's people that drive in to these particular churches. So the people of God are actually not seeking the welfare of the city that they're being planted in. Uh, they're seeking the welfare of, well, the church that's over there, and so I'm going to go all the way over there. So what this, what this means for you and for me is that we want to be a church for our city. We want to be a church for the city of wealth. Now, why that matters is that if you are someone that commutes to Church of the Ward, which I don't think we have anybody like that, but let's say we were to start having somebody driving here from Cambridge or Kitchener, we'd say, listen, we are a church for the city of wealth. Uh, we'd either encourage you to get involved in a church in Cambridge or Kitchener, or move here and be part of this here. But find a church that's located in your city for you to be a part of. We want to be a church, and we want to be known as a church for our city. So, for example, of this, we've gotten even so specific as our geography mission of missional communities is for a group of people to be geographically located and be caring for the needs of that geographical location. Right? One of the greatest ways that we can do this is by being involved in our local neighborhood groups. Um, I'm on the board for the Two Rivers One, which is in the ward. Jeff's on the board for the Grange Hill East neighborhood group. These are local organizations that we can part with to be ch a church known as a church for our city and getting involved with the local things that are going on. This means being part of the redemption of the things that are going on in our city. Uh, starting um, food markets or participating in food markets or sharing our resources, growing food in our backyards and giving it away. There's a guy on my street named Michael Barber, and he has, uh, in the front of his house, he's planted a couple of gardens. And next to his garden, he says, free food to anybody that wants it. And you can walk by and you can grab food out of his garden because you need it and he's growing it for you. And this guy isn't even a follower of Jesus. He's just like, no, I, I, mean, I, I think it's important to contribute and share it for the needs of the people around us. This is our calling as Christians to be doing this thing. And people walk by him and say, that guy lives a questionable life. But we're called to do the same thing. Now, maybe that's not planting gardens in front of, in front of our houses. Maybe it's called buying a, a hybrid, a Prius, and uh, using less gasoline that's emitting uh, fuels into the air so that our, our uh, yeah, just a little Prius push there. So we're caring for our nation in that way. Uh, 
They can, we can do it in lots of different ways, but we are to be a people for our cities, caring for the needs of things around us, um, and connecting people that are around us to local organizations that they can be assisted by. We want to be a church for our city. When people think of Church of the Lord, my desire is for people to think they are a church for the city of Guelph, and they're on mission to serve the people that are around them. That's truly my heart, so that one day people will take note in East City or in other neighborhoods, like, oh, there's someone part of Church of the Lord on our leadership team here. Oh, there's someone part of Church of the Lord that's on our leadership team here. So we're for the needs of our city. Rather than one of our primary things with missional communities is we don't want you nor desire you to start new programs in your city, but partner up with the things that are already going on and make them awesome. Uh, one of the best ways we can do that is volunteering in our neighborhood groups. Uh, East City, you guys helped out clean up garbage in the parks there at one point. Like, these are great ways that we can partner with our city to be a church for our city. And then the second way, I believe in the primary way, is Jesus said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that the greatest way that we can be for our city is to be a people that prays for our city. How often when you're taking time to pray, and for some of us, we're maybe embarrassed to say that because maybe we don't. And I'm going to touch on that a little bit when we talk about prayer here. But what I believe we are called to do, as Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done, to actually sit when we take time to pray and pray for our city, pray for the people that live around us, pray for our government, pray for the elections that are going to be happening, praying, God, we, we just need your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven and give us the wisdom to know how to get involved in the things that are going on around us. Like, this is so, so critical. Um, I believe this means, um, I, I'm sorry, you guys already saw that quote there that I put there. Then. Sorry, I'm getting a little out of, out of sorts here. We are to live as a praying people, living out the kingdom, awaiting the final restoration. If we are to just like kind of take that sentence and kind of harbor that in your heart and say, well, we are to live as a praying people, living out the kingdom, awaiting the final restoration. Next question. What does this mean for the whole church? Uh, I believe this means that we want to be known as a church, as I said, for the city of Guelph, so we are for our city and of the city of Guelph. We want to be made up of people from the city of Guelph. That's really, really key for us, is that we want to be, want to be made up of people from Cambridge and Kitchener or Mississauga or these different places. We want to be a church of. And anytime we see if there are any commuters, one, we say stay, or we say, why don't you start a missional community there, and then we'll just launch a plant a church over there when it seems the time fit to do that. Now, what does this mean for prayer and fasting? As I said, I believe the primary way that we do this is through praying for our city. Now, there's a book out there, it's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by a guy named Peter Scazzaro. And what Peter suggests is that your emotional health, um, and I've created a little bit of a graph here, which is helpful. Your emotional health is dependent on your spiritual health. So if you aren't very healthy spiritually, you're going to have a hard time being healthy emotionally. And then I'm reading more about spiritual health, which says if you don't have a healthy prayer life, you're not going to have a healthy spiritual life. So the reason I've kind of created this is to show that a healthy prayer life will mean a healthy spiritual life, which will mean emotional health. And in case you don't agree with me, I'm going to go through some points here about what prayer does. This is some points about prayer. I realize this is going to be hard for some of us to see, and I apologize for that. Just kind of listen, and I'll read them off. What is prayer? Number one, and I'm just going to go through these quickly, but prayer, number one, admits we are powerless. The pain and the brokenness in our world is far more than we can handle. 
And so when we pray, when we're saying, God, we need to pray to you for the needs of our city, we're essentially saying, God, we are powerless to be able to fix everything that's going on in our city. So as a praying people, as a praying church, we want to be people that praise for our church. Number two, prayer calls on God to act. We see this with Jehoshaphat in, second, in Chronicles 20, and also with Hezekiah in 2 Kings 19 to 20. So prayer calls on God to act. Number three, prayer brings God's people together. There's countless examples of scripture in which kings or rulers would call the people together to pray for the needs of their city. So prayer brings God's people together. Prayer is an essential piece of your arsenal of spiritual warfare. The greatest thing that you can do to fight against the spiritual warfare that is going on in your life, the demons that are trying to influence you for the kingdom of darkness, is to pray. Uh, I've been fascinated by this as I've been doing more reading, and that, again, spiritual warfare, some of us have actually prayed through some of our homes. Uh, you've invited me to come out, and I pray through your home. We go to every opening in the house, like a window or a door, and we anoint oil on them, and we say, Holy Spirit, Jesus, in the name of you, we pray that nothing evil would come into this place. We pray that those spirits would come in. Uh, and the reason we're doing that is to pray the protection of God over our homes um, so that our homes can be places of the Holy Spirit. Now, the next point is prayer is crucial to putting on the whole armor of God. You can read about that in Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 17. Next point of prayer is prayer is the primary way we exert spiritual authority and wage effective. So not only is it part of the arsenal of spiritual warfare, it's effective for spiritual warfare. The next prayer point is prayer is crucial to true evangelism. Um, I'm going to tell a little story here, and I think you know this story, Bill. But a year ago, um, we were prayer walking in our neighborhood. We still are prayer walking in our neighborhood. And uh, I think it was Andre first that actually prayed for Bill, because he was biking by us every single day as we were praying. Um, and we were just like, Andre's like, I'm just going to pray for that guy on the bike. And then we started praying for Bill every single day. Uh, we didn't know who Bill was. Bill was just a biker, biking by us every single day. And then I started doing Juice Thursdays and got to know Bill a little bit. Well, praise God, Candace and Bill, a year later, are sitting with us in Church of the Ward, having made decisions to follow Jesus with their three kids over in Ward Kids learning about Jesus right now. Like, that's unbelievable. That didn't happen because we were just like, we're going to put ourselves in the direct position to see them. It was prayer that led the way. And if we want to be people that see folks come to know Jesus, prayer is going to be the tr crucial place of true evangelism. So missional communities, this means that you need to be people that are praying for the people that are around you. If you don't even know them yet, pray for them. Like Bill and Candace are an example of that, and praise God for them in their lives. Um, next point, prayer is the central element of all great revivals and spiritual awakenings, along with scripture. Um, so prayer is kind of the center of all great spiritual awakenings and a revival. People don't start revivals or spiritual awakenings. It's the Holy Spirit through the power of God that starts spiritual awakenings and a revival. And then lastly, prayer, well, prayer works. I mean, so many of us probably can attest to stories and things from our life in which prayer works. Now, I've listed all these reasons why we pray. Why, are, why do we struggle so much with prayer? If we truly understand the benefits of prayer, and what God does through prayer. The scriptures in James says, you do not have because you do not ask. And God desires to hear from us. Think of it as a parent and a child. Parents, do you like it when your kids actually talk to you? Of course you do. Right? We get upset when they don't. If God is a loving father, should he not also feel the same way? Or does he not? We take our, um, our ways from him. Of course he does. 
Because you don't have it because you don't ask. I'm looking forward to that with a child. Like, he'll scream at me first and giggle and stuff, and then we'll get more to the talking. That'll be exciting. <laughs> now, second part to that, we want to be people that pray. Um, the reason that I'm touching on this is because in a few weeks, um, I'm helping collaborate and plan an event in our city called Seven, Seven Days of Prayer and Fasting for Our City, calling all the Christians of our city together to take seriously praying for our city. I told all the missional community leaders, no missional community stuff that week, encourage people to go. So what this means, it's not a week off for missional community, it's if you usually have dinner on Tuesday, go to the Tuesday event that's planned. If you usually have something on Thursday, go to something on Thursday, or pray together, walk your streets. Um, next thing, what is fasting for? Now some of us, when we think of fasting, or just like it's only food that we fast from. And the Bible actually talks about other ways in which we fast. But here's are some of uh, the results of what fasting is for. Number one, what fasting is for. Fasting food and water in the scriptures can show repentance. And repentance is to simply change your way of thinking. So when we fast, sometimes we're doing that because we are in the midst of repenting. Number two, fasting can be used to prevail against the enemy and receive deliverance from trouble. So if you've ever felt... Uh, um, like there's demons and spirits coming at you. Some of the ways that we can do that is through prayer and also fasting to receive deliverance from trouble. Uh, fasting can be used to increase the power of God in our lives so we can serve the Lord more, more effectively as Jesus did. In Je when Jesus is doing his teaching on the, um, on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you fast. When he says when you fast, he's expecting that people are fasting. Uh, one of the practices that I've done in my life is I'll fast every Friday. So what I will do is I won't eat, I'll eat dinner on Thursday, but I won't eat again until Friday evening. And I'll take the day on Friday to spend specific time praying and fasting uh, for specific needs. At uh, times, if let's say your family, you're going through something really difficult, you could come up to me or to somebody else in the church and say, would you pray and fast on my behalf for this particular thing? And uh, I've done that before for others, and they do it themselves. So, and then next, fasting can be a form of worship. And fasting can also be a response to the call of God. So maybe you feel like the Lord's saying, it's starting to start practicing some fasting. Uh, fasting can be used to diligently seek the will of God. Fasting can be used to receive healing or deliverance for ourselves or others. And then fasting can be used to humble ourselves before the Lord. Fasting can be used to ask for God's help. And then fasting can be used to ask for necessary provisions. So for some of us that maybe feel like we're struggling in the area of finances, one of the ways we can seek the Lord is by through fasting and coming before him. Now, what does fasting accomplish? Um, fasting can achieve the impossible. See that in Daniel 16. In the same way in other examples in the Old Testament, when the kings were calling their people to fast, and we talked about this recently in one of the devotionals about King Jehoshaphat. He called the people of the city to pray and to fast, and they walked into the city that they were going to take over, and the people were just lying on the ground dead. It was like an impossibility, but it was when these people came together and fasting. Now, how to fast? Um, number one, we are not to use fasting as a reason to be proud. So no one should be like, ha I'm a faster, you're not. It's like a, like, that's not why you fast. Like, it's not as a symbol of, like, I'm a faster, you're not. It's a humbling experience uh, before God. Fasting can be done individually or as a city. So you can fast individually, or you can fast as a larger city, Jeremiah 36, 9. Uh, there's no set time to fasting. Uh, sometimes it's just God says, I want you to do this, and you just do it. Um, as I said, I'll do it on Fridays, typically. 
Uh, please disregard me telling you when I fast. I'm just trying to share with you that there are people in, our, in your world that do do this. Uh, there are other types of fasting that have nothing to do with food. Um, in Luke 6, 12, uh, Jesus fasted from sleep. So uh, once again, these are some ways that you can fast. Maybe you don't sleep one night. Now, the reason for fasting in this sense is because it forces you to be uncomfortable so you feel the groanings of God and how he feels for the world. So when you are fasting for food specifically and you feel the hunger in your stomach, you're feeling the groaning that God feels for the brokenness of the world. It forces you into a level of uncomfort so you can better understand how God feels towards us. So when we fast, that's the purpose for it, to become one with the Lord, to understand how he feels in light of particular situations. So you can fast sleep. 1 Corinthians 7, 5 talks about abstaining from sex in marriage um, as a way to renew the marriage. Um, you can read about that, 1 Corinthians 7. And then in Isaiah 58, uh, verses 6 to 7, it says, um, this is the sort of fasting that desire to love mercy, to walk humbly, and to love justice. It's, you can get the actual wording for it, but it's the idea of we fast and seek the justice and the good of our city. Now, uh, here's another ways of how to fast. Uh, with the wrong motives, the Lord will not accept our fasting. So once again, if we're doing it for a proud heart, the Lord will not accept that kind of fasting. Uh, nobody should be told to fast. Fasting should come from the heart of the Lord. So even though we're planning this week of prayer and fasting for the city, we're really asking people to say, ask the Lord if he would have you fast for this week. And if he's telling you no, then don't. But if you seek the Lord and he says yes, then you better do it. And then thirdly, fasting is done by faith. Right? It's not like I'm controlling this whole thing. There's a level to it in which you fast and you seek the good of your city and you seek to understand the ways of the Lord and his heart for your city in the area of fasting. Um, as I said, it's been a hugely helpful discipline in my life. I did an extended fast at one point. It was hugely beneficial to the life of the people around me, to the leader, leadership, the people that I was leading, and all of these different things. So I realize the end of this message has been very like, here's some things. But I truly believe that if we're going to be a church for our city, number one, we pray for our city, and number two, we fast on behalf of our city. We say, God, we want to seek your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Jeremiah 27, 29, verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city for where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So when we seek the good of our city, we'll also be able to experience the good of the city. We're not to be a church that kind of does its thing separate completely. We are to be a church and we will be a church that is for our city, caring for its needs, getting involved in the things of our city, so that we can bless others as God has blessed us. All right? So as I've said, as in I did last week too, if this isn't what you're for, if you don't want to be a church for the city, you can go to another one. Uh, but that's what we're going to be about, and that's what we're going to be for. And I'm constantly, as your pastor, going to be asking us as missional communities to get involved in what's already going on in neighborhoods. And uh, we've seen the blessing of that in the ward, they can now depend on us for things because they know we'll send people to get involved. They also know that we'll send finances when finances are needed as well. Now, as I talked about last week, we, uh, we are calling all of us to obey God in the area of tithing. And I have the sheets at the back that you can pick up for pre-authorized giving. Or if you just want to give cash on a more regular basis, you can do that as well. Let's pray. And then the band's going to come up and give us an opportunity to respond to God what we've heard this morning. So then you can come up on the We won't like judge you for doing that.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together today. God, I thank you for the time we're going to spend together in a little bit, uh, eating together and celebrating. Jesus, I thank you for, God, just, I know for first of all, just showing me your word and showing me, God, your desire for us as a church. God, and then showing me and backing that up with theology and truth of the scriptures. God, I pray that it would not be of my own authority um, that people would walk out today, but God, be the authority of you, Holy Spirit, working and convicting us of uh, the things in our life, Lord, that are out of black. God, may we see ourselves as a church for our city. We're not going to be separatists, God, but we're going to be people that get involved. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you for this time together today. In your name we pray. Amen.